Hi, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of From Many People's Strength. This is a podcast where we take a look at the political scene as it lies in Saskatchewan. My name is Corey, and my and <laughs> yeah. I'm David Richards. <laughs> and I guess today we're going to start talking about uh, some stuff that's been going on in the news with the Sask Party, uh, particularly Scott Moe. Uh, he. Uh, had a couple of issues that we actually discussed already last time, but <laughs> yeah, it was it was funny because it's one of those issues that uh, I've thought has sh- I've kind of thought it should have been a bigger issue for years, right? Um, and and have brought up a, a few times when talking to people. Um, and what was interesting is one of the um, one of the arguments I kept hearing over and over again this week is, oh, this is just timing. People are only bringing it up now because of the election. And I'm kind of sitting here going, no. <laughs> like, yeah. When he was selected leader, I was saying, hey, this is this is an issue. Um, and then again, when there was the the Broncos bus crash um, and the, the circumstances were so similar, mm. um, again, bringing it up then. But uh, it, it's interesting, and I think obviously the um, the fact that the the son of his victim um, came forward and, and said, um, you know, I I I didn't know that this was the same person who killed my mom, um, and how outraged and angry he was when he when he made the connection, um, obviously brings it into the forefront. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that made a big difference. Uh- it was, I think his Twitter or his Facebook post was shared like th- uh, thousands of times and <laughs> like, yeah, it, it's been seen up by well, everyone. It puts, now. Face, it puts a face to it, right? I think you, um, you know, one of the differences, um, there's obviously there are differences between, um, what happened with Scott Moe, um, back in 97 and the, the Broncos bus crash. But one of the big differences is, the face of the victims was so prevalent with the the Broncos bus crash. These were young kids, their whole life ahead of them. Um, it, you know, hockey resonates with people of this province. Um, I, you know, I, I, I imagine most of us at one point or another in, in our, in our, you know, teenage years or young, mm. you know, young twenties were on a bus similar to that. Obviously, you know, not right. all of us played minor hockey, but you know, whether it was, um, you know, I, I remember being uh, with the football team coming home from a game. So I think one of the things, obviously, the, is that um, I think the victims um, resonated more, uh, and at least initially, you know, with the Broncos bus crash. Um, you know, they were young. They had their whole lives ahead of them. Um, and, you know, it, it's such a relatable experience for, for most people, whether it was, you know, in, in, in high school, like on a high school sports team or something they participated in, you know, in their early 20s. Yeah. You know, not all of us were in minor hockey, but, you know, whether it's, you know, with the football team or, you know, even like your choir or, or what have you, you know, that, that feeling of camaraderie with your friends on a bus trip somewhere, that's so relatable. And we, we saw the faces of these victims, whereas in the Scott Moe situation, you know, it is, it was in, up until recently, it was essentially this unnamed woman, um, from, you know, from 1997. And I know the old, the, the newspaper article itself from 97, uh, did give her name. It gave, it had her name wrong. Um, it looked like the, the spelling of her name was incorrect, mm. but, um, 
you know, it had it had a name in that article, but I almost never heard it since then. So when her son comes forward and says, yeah, I was in the hospital, I still have injuries to this day caused by that crash. Right. Um, I think I think that brings that story to the forefront again, because now now there's a, a real victim. And obviously there was all along as well. But I think in most people's minds, um, when you start seeing an actual face, that makes it resonate a bit more. Yeah, for sure. They uh, if if people don't have something they can see or connect to, like uh, I mean, like they say, like uh, people become numbers, right? Or just a story in the paper that you just ignore. And uh, now there's actually like a, a person that ever that everybody can speak to, like can hear from, and it it I think it it makes a difference in the minds of many people. I'm not sure if it's mm-hmm. going to be you know something that matters in terms of the election, but I think it's certainly something yeah. that it has, it has made a few more people, I think, uh, think negatively about Scott yeah. Moe, you know? Oh, I think so too. Um, well, and I, I think one of the things for me that stood out, um, is I heard a number of, um, Scott Moe supporters and, and Saskatchewan party supporters, um, saying, Oh, they, they, they basically saying they don't believe the, the son, right. uh, a couple people who, who are outright calling him a liar. And I'm like, that's super classy, but, um, <laughs> right. they kept saying like how it's impossible, you know, it's impossible that he didn't know. It's impossible that he didn't know, um, you know, who, who did this it was like, well, no, he was in the hospital for quite some time after the accident. Um, he was focusing on his recovery and, you know, 20 years later, Scott Moe's name wasn't in the news until the last few years. Yeah, he was he was some cabinet minister. Yeah. But, you know, I, I know if I had a traumatic event from the late 90s and then 20 years later, yeah, the name, even if the name was given to me, I don't know if I would necessarily make that connection if I heard someone with the same name. Um, but even assuming, you know, even assuming he is lying, which I think is a, a bold <laughs> assumption. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, like... If Scott Moe at any point in the past 23 years had contacted the family to apologize or to show remorse um, or repentance. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He, he couldn't make that lie. Like, if that was a lie, he, he couldn't say that lie if Scott Moe at any point had approached the family to apologize, to yeah. come forward and say, hey, you know what? Um, I was wrong. Um, I was careless. Um you know, this is something I, I I live with. It doesn't hurt me as much as it hurts you, but it still impacts me every day. Um, and he and like what came out this past week is he never once did that to the family. He never once approached the person he put in a hospital. Yeah. Um, like I even just think like last about a year and a half ago, I got rear-ended. Not a big deal. I wasn't hurt. The guy who rear-ended me, super apologetic. Gave me his insurance, gave all the information, but then continued to text me and just check in. It's like, hey, how are you doing? Is wow. your car repaired? Yeah. Like, he just checked in, right? We, we exchanged numbers. And it wasn't a big deal. But, like, that was just, like, he, like <laughs> yeah. uh, it, was a, it was a bad. Like, he still wrecked the back of my car. Um, but I don't know. And I, I just, that seems like the decent human thing to do on just, um, you know, yeah. a minor fender bender. Scott Moe killed someone and he never yeah. once reached out to her family. He put someone in the hospital and gave him um, like quality of life impacting injuries that 20 plus years later are still causing pain and discomfort and suffering. And never once did Scott Moe 
reach out to the family and yeah. reach out to the person he put in the hospital, which again, that just seems weird. And I'm a huge believer in, you know, letting people move on and mm-hmm. letting, you know, not forgive and forget, but like, um, let them know, learn from their mistakes I, like, and grow. And- yeah. I, I, I am I am not big on you know a carceral justice system in general, right? I'm not I'm not a you know lock them up and throw away the key type guy. Right. Um, so you know learning from, but like part of part of that is the idea that you then learn, right? Like it's, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, like you, you know le- having this learning and healing journey. Um, uh, you know, a, a healing approach or a restorative approach to justice still involves, um, you know, making sure victims are in, included in that process. And that doesn't seem like what happened. It seemed like Scott Moe got, uh, you know, a small little fine, um, you know, small town cop from the small town, you know, yeah. Scott Moe was from, um, you know, I'm sure I'm sure they looked at this 24 year old or 23 year old. There's sort of a question about exactly how old Mo was at the time. And, oh, he's a good kid. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. it's it's always that. Oh, he's a good kid mentality. Um, You know, and we we don't want to ruin his life over this. It's fine to ruin (laughs) other people's, but not his. But yeah, it's I just think, again, it's it's. It's, it hits me the wrong way. You know, it's not about it's not about learning and growing. If there's no indication that he had you know remorse or repentance in my mind, yeah. And I think I think too, like his his statement where he would apologize after the election also speaks to that kind mm-hmm. of like he didn't learn it. Like he he isn't taking like the appropriate amount of responsibility for this action. That yeah, like. Like he should have apologized years ago, but at the very least, now that he knows the son knows who he is, like that would be the first thing you would expect from somebody yeah. who was remorseful. For sure. Well, he he talked a couple times. Basically, he essentially he's is he didn't want it to distract from the election, and I'm like, that shows his priorities. Yeah, um, yeah. But it, it also like it highlights um, some issues with the Sask Party uh, on that all in all because the other i guess the other part of the story that came out um was a second drunk driving charge so we knew about the 97 car crash that um that killed someone Mm -hmm. we knew about the 1992 drunk driving charge uh, that he was convicted of he was convicted of dui in 92 yeah uh, but we hadn't known about the 94 and there was um an article from press progress that came out that had uncovered the 94 uh, drunk driving incidents. And uh, again, this is that sort of lack of um, remorse or repentance. Um, Scott Moe just <laughs> bald face lied about it because press progress came out with the, the story. And then Scott Moe comes out and says, Oh, I just wanted to let everyone know about this extra thing that happened. <laughs> yeah. I'm just bringing it up now because I mean, I'm bringing it up now proactively because I'm sure it's going to end up coming out at some point, but I, I'm the one that's bringing it up to begin with. I'm like, no, no, that's a lie. Like, <laughs> there's no opinion around that. That's not a, you know, oh, can we, like, no, flat out, you're bringing it up because the media caught you. Yeah, somebody um, already wrote this story. <laughs> yeah, like, I wouldn't put up with that. Again, it's, I wouldn't put up with that for my kids, right? Like, yeah. now you have kids too, right? Yeah. And, you know, I talk to my kids about, you know, if, if you do something wrong, um, let me know. I'd always rather you tell me the truth rather than lie to me. And that doesn't mean there won't be consequences. If you were, you know, 
playing basketball inside the house and something breaks, we're still going to have consequences for playing basketball in the house. But if you tell me and don't lie, that's, you know, that's going to go, you know, that's going to go better for you. Yeah. But then, you know, if it's after they're already caught them trying to turn around, if they tried to turn around and said, Oh, well I didn't lie about it. I came to you and told you like, no, you came to me and told me after you were caught. (laughs) After you knew, it's not the same thing anymore. (laughs) Um, but it was sort of looking into that a bit further. Um, you know, there are six different Sask party candidates who have convictions for GOI. That's like, 10% 10% of all wow, of their candidates. Actually. That's quite a yeah, few. It's like <laughs> six out of 61. So it's not, I guess not quite it. It's, it's 10% with a rounding, right? Like it's right. six out of 61. <clears throat> like, um, and I was trying to find out some other, you know, how, how does this compare to other demographics within their candidates? Um, and I couldn't find full details. So I got some details from back uh, a few months ago when they only had 55 of their 61 candidates picked for the election. So these other six could could impact some of the statistics. Okay. But two out of 61 of their candidates are indigenous. Okay. So their 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 percentage of drunk drivers is triple that of the number of candidates they have yeah. that are indigenous, and they had five other um, people of color that are running. So the uh, the the most the most commonly uh, represented demographic within the party is is drunk drivers. They're wow. they're more in favor of of that. And again, it's just that's not. <laughs> I don't want to imply an association between any of those other groups. It just, it's, it stands out. Like that is certainly a a statistically significant number at that point. Like um, I I should have looked up what the, the total number of uh, the the actual population of the province was of drunk drivers compared to, compared to that. But I I got us, I have to assume it's greater than average (laughs) compared to the province as a whole. So that seems like, I think I know more people, I guess it depends. Some of the people may have been from rural areas, right? Which at a, there right. was a time when if you lived in a rural area, drinking and driving was really common. But, but it's also, not like, an excuse. But to get to this point, <laughs> well, and also not just like that's not 10% of the party were drinking and driving. That's 10% of the party got caught and convicted yeah. of it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so that's, that's not even just, you know, how normalized it was. Cause I remember when I first moved to this province, uh, I guess it would have been back in 92 hearing all the different ways of getting out of drunk driving tickets. If, if you ever, if you ever get caught, right. Yeah. So, um, and all the tricks and, and ways and, you know, you know, people going out to bush parties and how do you, how do you navigate the back roads so you can avoid the, the cops and, and, and all of that. Yeah. So if it was happening so frequently that it got caught and in most cases so frequently that he got caught twice <laughs> in addition right. to a, a reckless driving where he, or I, I Driving with undue care and attention. I, sh- I don't think, I think reckless is a separate, is a different charge. So I'll be, I'll try to be accurate. Um, like it, it just, they all, yeah, it's just, they all add up, especially when it's, when it's from the political end of the spectrum that uses law and order as oh, yeah, yeah. their justification for so much, right? Like, 
it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's tough on crime when it's someone being in a provincial park without a permit. Yeah. But I just took a killing quick, someone uh, is not quite as bad. <laughs> right. I just took a quick Google search here and it looks like in uh, 2019, there was a report that said we have uh, Saskatchewan had a rural impaired driving rate of 939 incidents per 100,000 people. Oh, in 2017. So, that's less than 1% of uh of people have i guess that we are have on record as having impaired driving so yeah well that's in that's only in one year so yeah yeah that's right there's going to so, be years I that guess, it you know, goes maybe, up and yeah. down and, and again it's cumulative right so it's not like all all six of the the MLA so maybe it is the provincial average i don't know that seems might be. that seems high that 10% <laughs> of the population has been has at some point or another been convicted of drunk driving um but i guess so even, even to be quite frank 1% of the population getting convicted for oh, it yeah, in a that's right. in a given year seems really high but i guess <laughs> I guess that's why it's a an epidemic that that uh, there's so much concern about because like it it does you know it does literally kill people every yeah, year. Yeah, that's so. right. And I, I know uh, every year they come out with the statistics for the previous year. And Saskatchewan is always like we're not we're not a place where people have have like that number keep doesn't go down very much here compared right. to other places yeah. where they can reduce that quite a bit. I'm not sure why, but. <laughs> Well, I think, and again, we tie into uh, the election south of the border here to some extent as well. I think, um, in my mind, probably the um, one of the most uh, defining statements of politics of the last decade um, has been was Donald Trump's statement about um, I could shoot someone um, mm. on the middle of Fifth Avenue and I wouldn't lose supporters over it. Um, I don't know it seems to be one of the defining traits of modern politics and and again my biases may come through i definitely see it more on the right than i see it on the left the left seems to uh at times eat their own a little bit more yeah um but uh this idea that like there's there's literally nothing that i think scott mo could do and some people would still vote for my like i I just no matter what he said or did or what policies he came forward with there are going to be a, a contingent of his supporters that there just literally isn't anything that's going to sway their opinion. Yeah, that's right. And it's not about, it's not that they support him because of his character. It's not that they support him because of it's his beliefs or his policies or his record or the party's record or policy or beliefs. It's he's the the same team as them. Yeah. yeah. It's the same reason you cheer for the rough riders, um, whether they're winning or losing, while they're playing, not right. right. Yeah. that's your team. Uh, no, I, that's your team, right? And I think it's just it's scary to some extent that politics is reaching that point because it just means that we can't have meaningful debate. And I guess we're I guess to some extent engaging on it as well. It's a little bit partisan here. Oh yeah, you yeah. And I, you and I obviously are not task party fans, but <laughs> it means the discussion stops being around um, policies and actions um, and starts being more about whose team is whose. So. Yeah. Like I, I know for a fact, like there's a, a number of people in my own, in my personal life that have said that they will always vote for the SAS party and they will never, ever vote for the NDP. And they, that's just how they are. They've just picked that and that's it. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know if I've ever heard, I don't know if I've ever heard the reverse. 
Um, <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm just trying to think about it. Like, and again, I, I want to be fair, you know, and does it have, does the same thing happen on the other side? Um, and I think, well, you know, you have people who are going to vote NDP this election, but if there was a viable Green Party, they would vote Green. Yeah. Um, when there was a viable provincial Liberal Party, they, they voted Liberal. Yeah. Um, I, I went back when, uh, when the Liberal Party was a viable party in the province. I, I had voted for the provincial Liberals. Um, haven't done so in quite some time because, again, they're not viable at this yeah, point, realistically. Yeah, they even exist? <laughs> Yeah, well, they essentially got split into two, right? The South Party was formed. Um, yeah. Basically, the Liberal Party got split in half, and half of them went and joined the Sask Party. And then an election or two later, um, I, I can't remember if it was one election or two elections, it was when David Karwacki got brought into NDP cabinet. Um, but essentially, the rest of the Liberals got subsumed into the NDP cabinet a couple years a few elections later, one or two elections later. So they existed, they got split in half and there is still technically a liberal party now, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's functionally gone. Yeah, right. So, exactly. but again, on the, on, and federally it's, it's fairly similar. Uh, I would say like you didn't see a lot of people, I guess they learned the lesson with the reform party, but you don't see a lot of people who went and joined the, the people's party. Um, right, right. Yeah. But every year, every year, there's the existential angst about, you know, liberal NDP or Green Party, right? So, yep, there, exactly. You don't seem to have a lot of people who are adamant, you know, no, no, I vote, I vote liberal, will always vote liberal. There's nothing you can do to make me not vote liberal or NDP or Green. It seems pretty. Yeah, and maybe maybe that's the reality, and people don't admit it on the left. You know, it yeah. could very well be that is actually how they that, feel, yeah. but don't say it out loud. I don't want to pretend that there aren't those diehards who have picked their team and been voting for, say, NDP their whole life, and they won't ever change. But yeah, th- like there must be some of them, but I think yeah. the numbers are dramatically different. Yeah. But I think you know it's a good. Segue. I think I want to come back to some of the stuff with the Sask Party as well, but I think that you know makes somewhat of a, an interesting segue into some of the, the the bumps in the road the NDP had this past week. I think it's been a better week for them, but they had a, a bit of a bump in the road as well with one of their candidates. Yeah. Um, past comments coming back to you know it's that it's that ever present story with MLAs or MPs or candidates of any kind where it's their past comments are coming back to to haunt them a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think it was, uh, um, do you have, uh, do you remember where they were from? They were, uh, I think Mira Conway, I think is the, the, the name of the, the candidate. Um, and I'm trying to remember where, where, uh, where she was from, but, um, a post came out, um, of hers from uh, 2018 where yeah, she's the Regina Elphinstone, uh, Regina. Yeah. 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 And yeah, it's, it's a really long post and I won't read the whole thing. Um, but I think the, the, the fundamental element that people are upset by is she referred to, um, the tar sands as a fucking nightmare. Um, and I think that, that certainly caused the NDP to be a little bit put on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess whatever it is. <laughs> that's the state we're in, right? Like we're in Saskatchewan. You got to, whether you agree with it entirely or not, you have to be on the side of oil field workers and the energy sector on some, at least on some level. So the NDP is forced to, uh, 
whether they entirely like whether her statements were as bad as framed or not, they have to to walk it back and they have to say, well, no, we support it. The energy sector, we support or uh, energy workers like we have to say this because it's such a big part of our province. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's it'll be interesting to see if that um, how heavily the Sask party latches onto it because um, it does put the NDP in a bit of a um, a jam politically, I think, because every time like every time they have to respond to being accused of being anti oil. Yeah. They demotivate the left wing of their base a little bit. Yeah. That's right? right. Like it's, you know, in a two party system, you're fighting for the center. So they, the NDP and both parties are, but the NDP has to really fight to woo those centrist voters who believe yeah. in oil and pipelines and all of that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, both parties have to be careful of not demotivating their their extreme wing. And on the 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 right, you typically have that on social issues, right? You have you have your you know more right wing political parties like the Sask Party or the Conservatives federally who have to be very very careful around the rhetoric they use on topics like gay marriage and topics oh, like yeah, for sure. um, abortion and and whatnot, right? They they want to make sure that. Everyone in the center still thinks they're harmless. Um, <laughs> yes, that's right. You know, right? In, in federal, I always talk about it, the 905 effect, the, those Toronto suburbs. And I'm sure it's the same thing in, in provincial politics here, right? You have those people living in Regina, Saskatoon, Moose Jaw, et cetera, you know, live in the suburbs, household income, 100, 120K a year, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. Yeah. You know, they're making good money. They're... You know, philosophy is a little bit to the right wing economically, but, you know, they don't want their 16 year old kid thinking they're a homophobe. So they, they can't vote for a political party that's openly anti LGBTQ rights. Yeah. yeah. Um, and on the yeah. so they, so they the, the, their parties has to walk that line at this, you know, whereas on the left, we now have this, you know, we have people who believe in uh, pipelines, you know, pipelines are safer than trains and then some of some of yep. those ideologies. And, you know, you can't transition completely to renewable energy without having a plan in place. And, you know, going cold turkey, you know, isn't yep. always the best approach and harm reduction is important and um, all of that. So you want to be able to keep the people in the center who are worried that an NDP government's going to come in and we're going to be in, you know, 10 years of recession. Right. While at the same time, you start talking about that too much. And all of a sudden, on the left wing of the party, you have people who are going, ah, these two parties are the same. There's no difference. Yeah, the yeah. whole system is rigged. It's it's just a matter of, you know, what what flavor of neoliberalism are you voting for? Right? So, <laughs> well, and I can't, um, <laughs> I, yeah, I can't deny that when I see them walking back comments that I, you know, by and large, I, I actually kind of agree with the fact that the. Mm -hmm. The oil sands isn't great, you know, and maybe you, you shouldn't right. say that it's a fucking nightmare, but it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I kind of agree with yeah. that. And when they walked that back, I'm like, oh, geez, I kind of wish they hadn't done that. But yeah, and not everybody's going to be as uh, pragmatic, you know, and, and say, well, OK, I know they have to do that because they're appealing to a voting base that doesn't agree with the extreme side of the party. Right. But, yeah. And, you know that's where, again, that's where that demotivation factor comes in. Um, and it's, it's, 
it's interesting to see how that plays out. Um, I, I remember thinking, and again, this is sort of bigger picture stuff, but I remember thinking back when um, Obama won his second term, not so much the first, but when he won his second term, it was, I thought it was spelling the end of the Rove doctrine because Karl Rove was famous um, uh, for his political doctrine and Karl Karl Rove for anyone listening um, who doesn't know was George Bush's sort of um, primary strategist. But Karl Rove um, had been involved with the Republicans in the U S for years. And his primary strategy is you is ignore the middle, ignore the center Um, fighting over that five to 10% that could swing one way or another is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. What's important is increasing turnout of your people and decreasing turnout of the others. It doesn't matter if you, you know, it doesn't matter at all if you can capture the center, leave the, leave that sort of dotted line in the middle exactly where it is. Just get more of the people on your side of the dotted line to be excited and motivated to vote. Right. Um, It's not a terrible strategy. (laughs) No, well, yeah. And it wasn't for years. Um, but Obama seemed to have been, in his second term at least, rejected. And again, it's you know some of those criticisms of Obama are how much of a centrist and how much of a moderate he was. Um, yeah, he definitely tried to seemed, appeal more to that center rather yeah. than the, yeah. And it's I, I again the, the 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 foolish person that I was. Um, I thought his second win was going to spell the end of the Robe Doctrine um, because he really did. Put, put the lie to it in that, you know, you can win by appealing to the center because the right, like the right wing of that American political spectrum was probably more motivated than it had ever been in that, in that second term of Obama. Yeah. Uh, the the yeah. 2012, they were like the Republican candidate wasn't exactly breathtaking, but um, <laughs> they were still very motivated. <laughs> Um, and sort of coming to, you know, coming full circle again, back to Saskatchewan, it's interesting to see here, um, how that's going to play out in the idea of, are we going to see, you know, both in this election and going forward, an NDP that is excited about getting young people voting is excited about uh, the environmental movement is excited about, um, uh, you know, being radical, being, right, um, yeah. I mean, not extremist, but like being exciting or are they, or are they going to focus more on that middle ground? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, it, and, and are they going to try and jump across a river and change their mind halfway through and try and do both and do neither? Um, that's kind of the Rachel so, Notley NDP in Alberta did that, right? <laughs> the kind of, the kind yeah, of <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're interesting. They're they're certainly an interesting case because again, they they were similar to here, right? They they have to stay in the good graces of of the oil fields, but yeah, um, to some extent, they 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 did a relatively good job of doing that. It's just the the unite the right and. Happened yeah, and the the anti NDP like anti left kind of propaganda that was coming out of the province at that time was it's pretty I don't, it seemed to be pretty powerful and it seemed to sway quite a few. People, I saw a poll so. the other I saw a poll the other day though um, even with only the the single political party the Kenny is so unpopular right now that if an election was <laughs> held there today the NDP would win again. Um, uh, which he is, is screwing you know, things up pretty badly. <laughs> so. Yeah. 
So but it'll be that, that that's an interesting phenomena too, as well as how how does our our neighbor to the to the west impact politics here? Oh so. yeah, that's right. Like uh, like I wouldn't. I'm not a fan of Scott Moe, but I would never say that he's like Jason Kenney in that way, right? Like no. So so he's in a sense he's still playing that to the center a little bit too. He doesn't want to be too extreme the way that Kenny seems to be adopting that far right uh, rhetoric. So. Yeah. Well, I remember um, a friend of mine uh, moved to the province about 13, 14 years ago, and we were talking, and they were saying they were they were talking to their dad because they were from Ottawa, and we they and I bonded over that because I was from I, I lived in Ottawa for a few years as well when I was a kid, right. um, and their dad was teasing them to, uh, about having a conservative government here. <laughs> And they just said, and again, this was 13, 14 years ago. So the SAS party has certainly shifted right um, in their time in office. Yeah. But they just sort of laughed at their dad and were like, yeah, but I'm in Saskatchewan now. Even our right wing parties are pretty left wing. <laughs> uh, yeah. And again, we, I think I think the SAS party, you know, it it does still have some of those liberal party roots. I wouldn't say left wing, but, you know, at least centrist. Yeah. Um, but, but what's interesting is. Um, I believe this will be, I, I believe, I can't remember it was this one or last one. I can't remember when Ken, uh, Ken Kravitz, um resigned, but he was the last of the liberal MPs to <laughs> join the SAS party and he's retired. So we now have a SAS party. They still have some of the old conservatives in it, um, but they don't have a single liberal left no from one, yeah. that, um, uh, from, from that merger. So that's uh, an interesting Again, I don't know how much it impacts things or you know, how how that shapes and how anyone views the party, um, but it certainly, in my mind, at least speaks to how this was more of a centrist party that has certainly uh, certainly gone to the right over time. Yeah, I think I think it's probably fair to say that as those liberal MPs kind of retired and went away and what whatnot, that did leave more space for farther right. Uh, candidates to take those mm-hmm. places so yeah uh, you know just taking a look here it looked uh it looked like he uh stepped down in 2016 so yeah this would have been this will be the second election without without okay. any liberals running so yeah so what are we talking about next <laughs> i guess before we continue in the politics thing uh there was a couple uh sas power workers that died in an accident in weyburn and uh i guess on some okay. level, I just want to acknowledge that and like the number of people who we're we are pretty good in Saskatchewan for our workers who die in the field uh, as like we've got, you know, pretty good safety numbers, I think. Uh, but sometimes accidents happen and it, it was a uh, bit of a tragedy here. A couple people died and a couple uh, families left with a little couple less people in them. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for bringing that up. You know, it's always yeah, unfortunate and, and sad when things like that happen, and, and does speak to the importance of you know, being safe. Did they? Um, did they? Was there any information on on how the how the incident occurred? Uh, to the best of my knowledge, it was a uh, an a malfunction with some of the equipment that keeps the oh. like those, those pickers that they those buckets they stand in. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to keep it level. And something happened that malfunctioned with that, and it made it tip. And so that's what the accident. Okay. So it wasn't even necessarily an yeah. individual's uh, mistake or like any any person that made a mistake. It was like a, a, a equipment malfunction. 
So, so, uh, something I I think that is kind of important here is the uh, like for me this is an issue with the SAS party that I I think they could do a lot better on. Uh, it's the uh, the ceremonial camp that was in uh, the uh, Wascana Park there across from the legislature and uh, Tristan Duroche Duroche. Uh, uh, did his 44-day ceremonial fast uh, mm-hmm. to draw attention to the high rates of suicide in the province and uh, particularly among indigenous peoples. Uh, and uh, yeah, this this article that I've got here, it's about the uh, potential for Mo to uh, appeal the court ruling that said uh, Roche was allowed to be in the park and he was allowed to uh, carry out his political... Uh, constitutionally protected political and, and spiritual expression. So, yeah, yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, you know that he's now he's now left because it was it was only ever intended to be forty four days. Um, them continuing with the appeal is obviously not about Deroche himself at this point, right? Right, like this is this is about precedent. This is about the the last thing they want is for people to be allowed to um, display displeasure at the government <laughs> in such a public way. Yeah, we, and we we talked about the like he's leaning on these bylaws again uh, with the city bu- park, yeah. and we talked about that last time where basically like nothing is legal in the park. <laughs> So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then uh, those ones. Yeah, those are even different because it's yeah, it's the Wisconsin Park Authority, which is different from the city bylaws, but it's still the same basic concept. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's it's really interesting to me when you um, look at stories like these ones because they really put the lie to the narrative that it is the left that are the the ones who are, you know, attacking free speech mm-hmm. um, and who, who are, who are responsible for cancel culture in quotation marks. <laughs> um, right. Like this is, this is a case where Scott Moe isn't impact. No one in the government is directly impacted by oh, this yeah. protest. Yeah. It is, it is, it, it is a someone expressing their voice. Um, it it doesn't, you know, negatively impact someone. And I, I understand the idea that you don't want, you know, the entire park filled with thousands of people doing protests every day. Um, but, but I don't really see <laughs> there being a great risk of thousands of people giving up a month and a half of their life to live in a tent right, yeah. on the grounds of the legislature, right? We're, we're not, we're not at risk of that becoming a, a huge public nuisance. Um, no. And now there, there's also talk of setting aside a part of the park that's specifically for this purpose, right? It, it right. Allowing indigenous voices to have a specific spot where they can raise concerns and you know, request redress from the government. Um, and the government is fighting that of course as well. So, yeah, and it, it's interesting, right? Because it, it's this is this element where you have a narrative where that's you know free speech is at quote unquote at risk. But usually, when people are talking about that, they're basically talking about people's ability to say things without consequence, right? right. Someone yeah. someone comes out and publicly declares that um, they don't think 
um, two people of the same gender should be allowed to get married. Um, right. You know, That's they, and yeah. now all of a sudden they're now all of a sudden no one's shopping at their business and people are going oh well that's that's their free speech is being you know compromised I'm like not really that's them facing consequences for their action that's that's how capitalism is supposed to work if people don't <laughs> like stuff you do they won't shop at your store um, go figure hey <laughs> but when you actually have the government itself suppressing the speech of people that. That's exactly what the, the the right to free expression was supposed to address. Yeah, yeah. Um, and again, the courts agreed with that, right? Like, yeah. we, we have the courts. And so, like, this isn't even just my opinion at this point. I'm just some guy, and I, I'm going to be biased. I'm going to pick and choose. You know, or, I mean, I'm trying not to, but I'm going to be more inclined to support um, a protest that is for suicide prevention or Black Lives Matter or, you know, um, yeah. the justice for our stolen children camp, et cetera, then I'm going to be for an anti-mask rally. Yeah. Um, but regardless, if it's the government coming in there, to suppress speech, there needs to be a pretty strong case for it to be in the public's best interest for that speech to be suppressed. Yeah. So, well, I'm, I'm interested to see, I think I've said the word interested about a million times now, but it, it's going to be, it's going, it is going to be interesting to see um, where the courts come down on this with the appeal, because that does set a, a pretty significant precedence within the province on um, what speech is allowed and what speech isn't. And, well, yeah, it, you know, how well lot. behaved does your protest have to be? Exactly. Yeah. Like, cause actually this protest wasn't very like it wouldn't be anything that anybody could call uh, misbehaving, right? Like it was just, no. just a person in a teepee having a hunger strike, you know? Like, yeah. And so, yeah. And yeah, that that's, it wasn't disruptive to anyone other than it drew attention. Yeah. So, you know, assuming they actually yeah, follow through with the appeal, like, I, I don't know if they're actually like it so far, it, at least according to this, it looks like it's just potentially going to be appealed. So okay. I haven't actually filed for it. So, well, and again, we have the election election coming up here as well, so that'll obviously impact that one way or another. Because I don't, um, there, there's time limits on how long you have before you before you have to appeal. So right, right, yeah, that will that will impact things for sure, for sure. Um, so, do we want to talk at all about um, the the municipal elections coming up as well? I know they're still two weeks further away than the provincial ones. Yeah, sure. Um, um, I was uh, taking a look online here earlier today about the candidates um one of the things i find interesting again um is if you look at the two uh, largest cities or saskatoon and regina on the mayoral front once again it's a huge slate of candidates right. and this is always one of those things where the the whole first past the post issue jumps <laughs> to mind so much we don't we don't have first past the post problems provincially because for the most part there isn't there aren't really viable third parties and and the people who win their ridings do typically get more than 50 percent of the the votes yeah um or, or darn close to it um but in Saskatoon, you're going to have six candidates on the ballot in Regina for mayor. Uh, for Regina, you're going to have nine candidates on the ballot. Um, so it will, you know, it, there's a very, very strong likelihood of us not having a mayor with more than 50% of the vote again. Right, yeah, very likely. 
so so I don't know a lot about yeah, I don't I don't know a lot about these various candidates. I've seen ads for uh like Jerry Flagel. Uh, this is for Regina. Uh, I've seen yeah. ads for I think Jim Elliott, uh, but that's about yeah. it. Like I don't know. I, I guess Pat Fia- or Tony Fiaco is he related to the old mayor? I believe he is. Yeah, yeah so he, he's probably got so, an, a bit of an in because his relative was the uh, past mayor. But yeah, well, and um, Tony Fiaco and Jim Elliott both ran last time. Now, last okay. time Fougere did win more than fifty percent. Fougere won seventy percent of the vote last time. So, um, but there were only five candidates last time as opposed to the nine we have this time. Right. Um, but. I, you know, it's. I, I think one of the things you find, you know, you'll, you'll find. I, I think is even, uh, and maybe I'm projecting too much. There's almost a virtual first past the post problem, where it's even leading into the election, you're not having, you're not getting name recognition for anyone running against the incumbent. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's... Or or the. Uh... Sorry, go on. Yeah, like like you say, like there's no name recognition for like mo- most of these guys. Yeah. Like I have no idea who they are in any real sense. Yeah, no, it's it'll be interesting. Again, it, it's going to be um, a fascinating situation to watch. Saskatoon um, was a case where there was a, a first past the post issue because we have um, Charlie Clark last time won with forty percent of the vote. Okay, um, he beat uh, he beat Don Atchison, who was the incumbent. Um, and so normally you, you have that, that the first past the folk post impact, um, helping the incumbent, right? You know, right. it's, it's the anti incumbent vote gets split. Um, and in this case, you know, it, uh, it, it didn't happen. Um, but Don Atchison's running again this time round. Um, so you'll have a similar, a very similar election to last time, um, where, you know, it's you have these large numbers of people voting, um, or large number of candidates to be voted for, and will will the anti Charlie Clark vote coalesce around Don <laughs> Atchison, similar to how the anti Don Atchison vote coalesced around Charlie Clark last time? Right. Yeah. So we'll uh, see how that goes. Yeah. And I think as we get get closer to that one, um, I, you know, we can probably dig a little deeper into the individual candidates and the individual races and dissect them a bit more. But for for now, I think it's um, you know anyone in those areas. Um, I, I really encourage people to look up who their own um, you know people running for city council are and for sure, who's running yeah. for trustees are and all that. Um, I uh, I was in a online discussion with someone from the United States um, yesterday, and they they were very adamant about, oh, I'm going to vote for Joe Jorgensen because Joe Biden isn't left wing enough for me. Oh yeah, putting aside how ridiculous their understanding <laughs> of left yeah. and right wing is. <laughs> um, one thing we like, one thing we got into in the discussion is like at this point in the U.S., there really is only two viable candidates for president. Um, so, you know, the Green Party isn't even running in all fifty states; they're only running in twenty-nine. They almost mathematically can't win. <laughs> um, yeah, 
but w- w- where you can have impact is on those smaller races because um, if you start looking at things like a school board trustee or a city councillor, um, that's where individual votes can make huge, huge differences. You know, you talk to 50 people, 100 people, um, and you swing 100 people from one candidate to another in a city council race. Right. That's huge. Like that, that's, that's going to make big differences. Whereas, you know, that's not necessarily going to make a big difference on a provincial scale or a federal scale. Yeah. I'm just, uh, taking a look like some of these, uh, wards in Regina, like we've got like the, all of these people have been to my house, the the ones that are in my, <laughs> my, my no. uh, ward. So I haven't spoken about this. Is where... <laughs> This is where the disclosure piece comes comes forward. I'm working on the the campaign um, in uh, in the uh, in this for school board trustee. So I'm um, both on the the ground the aspect of putting my my money and time where my mouth is, but also being being upfront. Um, I'm working on the campaign for Ted Gilletta. So have been going around handing out brochures. He and oh, I have nice. spoken a number of times around campaign strategy. So I'm, I'm super biased on that. One. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But even for people who are, are not, you know, these are, these are big issues that come up um, that often affect people. You know, we're dealing with school board budgets. Um, you know, where does that money go? How does that money get spent on a city level? Oftentimes we're more impacted by decisions made at you know a political level yeah than we are at any other level right i i am probably you know again when it comes to you know what team i'm cheering for quote unquote it's more fascinating to follow federal politics right but realistically i i'm i'm pretty heavily impacted by the mill rate Um, (laughs) i'm i'm impacted by you know what roads get snowplows when and i am you know i'm impacted by how my city approaches homelessness and people in saskatoon you know issues around the public library being rebuilt um you know issues around what's happening with the lighthouse these are really critical issues that affect people on an every single day basis yeah um so so it's pretty important to be involved in some at least on some level yeah, that's okay. So, public service announcement on uh, pay attention <laughs> yeah. to the, the pay attention to the ones that are are less flashy because they're the ones that that probably impact our our daily lives the most. Yeah, for sure. Do we want to go go into any more of the the scandals that happened during the week? Well, um, yeah, we can uh, we can talk about. Uh, I think there was one early in the week where uh, uh, one of the uh, SAS party candidates was kind of scrutinized for <laughs> some actions he did at uh, Craven Country Jamboree or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you want to do you want to explain what was going on there? Sure. Yeah, I guess uh, <laughs> candidate Alex Now is that how you pronounce that? Perhaps. Uh, I, I believe so. Yeah, he was. Yeah, uh, everything on this one I've read, not heard. So, yeah, uh, I didn't know his pronunciation. But he he was uh, <laughs> he was in the leader post in 2016 as uh, somebody who was interviewed about the Craven Country Jamboree or Country Thunder, whatever it was at the time. And uh, him and his 
I guess, person that was interviewed with him, they were playing a game. They had this game called the Wheel of Fun. Mm-hmm. And in the interview, they said, depending on where, where the dial stops, the Wheel of Fun means you have to funnel a beer, show your breasts, or sh- have a shot beer shot down your throat through a water gun. Right. And uh, so, I mean, obviously, this is a little bit problematic. Uh, <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm not convinced that... Uh, I'm not convinced that most of the people who would vote for SAS party would consider this problematic, actually. <laughs> but, yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah. It, uh, I think one of the things, and I kind of wanted to uh, address it a little bit with regards to some of the stuff we talked about at the beginning of, of the podcast, is just this idea of vetting. Um, you know, what are... What are these processes like within the political parties for vetting their candidates now? Um, I'm uh, I'm interested to see how in-depth that was in the past and what that's going to start looking like going forward for people like parties as well. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what that vetting might look like um, going forward as well. Because, again, how are these... How are these parties going to avoid stuff like this? Or even if they decide, because again, you know, the nomination process is done, um, is more grassroots. It's not like you have a, you know, you know, Ryan Miley and Scott Moe hand selecting the candidates. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's the, I guess it's a matter um, of constituency and all that, but how do you make sure that these things get found out before the nomination process or, you know, how how are these <laughs> political parties going to get ahead of them? Like, do what Scott Moe said he did on the 94 crash, which is if there's stuff that you know is going to come out, how do you make sure your candidates are getting this stuff out proactively rather than reactively? Well, yeah, I would almost think that it would be ra- rather simple to, uh, I don't know. When I imagine if I were to ever join a political party and they Googled who I was and the things that I've said and done in the past, it would come up pretty quickly. Uh, maybe it wouldn't be that simple for everybody, but yeah. this was in a lead, like this was in the leader post. This wasn't yeah. like this wasn't inaccessible. If you, I'm sure if you ga- uh, Googled Alex now, it would come up somewhere. So it just yeah. seems like somebody didn't do their due diligence. And if you're going to vet people, like you actually have to vet them. Like you actually have to do some work to do, <laughs> to find this right. stuff out. I don't know. Or, or do you just trust that they're going to disclose everything that they can think of that they've done wrong that might co- impact on the party? Yeah. I, that's, I don't know. Cause like, I, you know, I let, I know when it comes to, bigger parties like like, again the american elections for senate and congress and stuff like that and federally here as well um there's candidate forms that they have to fill out and there's disclosure forms and all of that yeah i assume there is something similar um for political parties at a provincial level as well like if you're running for office as part of a party like obviously an independent wouldn't have to do that um if you're wanting to run as member of a party um, obviously, none of this stuff should disqualify someone from being elected, like, technically, right? Like, we shouldn't have things that say, you know, you're not allowed to run for office, you know, because <laughs> right, of X, yeah, Y, and Z. Yeah. I, I, I believe in democracy being open to, to anyone. But a political party saying this isn't what we stand for, um, you'd think there would be disclosure forms. But I don't know if you can completely rely on full self-disclosure because... 
you know, people want to win, right? People want to yeah, run. That's right. Yeah. They want to um, run. They're going to, they're going to say what they have to say. Right. Uh, MLA is a, is a nice gig, right? Yeah. Like it's, I, I'm not in the camp of, you know, MLAs are grossly overpaid or I think, I think it's important that, you know, I think it's important that it is something that is, is a well-compensated position and that's a bigger topic. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, you know, it's a nice gig. <laughs> People are going to want to do it. Um, and yeah, you can't. And, and I think this applies in both cases, right? Both the, the NDP situation where there was the Facebook post um, about um, the tar sands and the pipelines, yeah. um, as well as the, um, the wheel of fun and then the DUI issues. Yeah. How do you, as a political party, figure out where these issues are and how do you get in front of them? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. I like to say, like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I guess maybe I'm asking you a rhetorical question. I just, it's funny because I, you know, I'm I'm not always uh, the most quiet person when it comes to my political beliefs. Um, and I've had a number of people over the years um, tell me I should run for political office. Right. And I'm like, I'm I am a queer atheist, polyamorous. <laughs> kinky like <laughs> there's a lot of things a lot of people would not be okay with right yeah we're not quite at that um, progressive level here yet i i i suspect <laughs> that the uh that that may lose me votes if i ever did run um yeah but uh but again i don't know if everyone has has that thought process that sort of jumps to the forefront of their mind and um yeah, I, I I really do think it's one of those situations where um, I think there just needs to be something within these appar- like political apparatuses that look at this ahead of time. Yeah, well, like yeah, I don't know. Like you say, I think I think they are technically supposed to have like a party would normally have some kind of vetting process where they would actually look right. into somebody's past at least, and like you say. If you wanted to run independently, that's fine. But if a party wants to associate with you or doesn't want to associate with you, then that's a whole other situation. But yeah, and it's again you run into balances. So let's say it does come out. How do you, as a political party, balance your? You know, if there is the local constituency picking someone, um, yeah, how do you balance that between? The people at the grassroots levels are choosing someone, but the party as a whole doesn't want to associate with them. Um, yeah, that becomes a, again, where, where's that line, right? Yeah. There almost has to be some, I mean, I guess in, it's like so many things you have to have some extra step of communication between, uh, the broader party leadership and the grassroots level, like, uh, individual candidate level so that you can actually say, okay, well, here's the things I know about this person. Is this something that the party wants to keep up? Like there has to be a communication, right? Like you can't just rely on one or the other to make the final decision. Right. Makes sense. All right. Are there any other sort of big pressing issues within the province that we wanted to touch on this week? Uh, I mean, there was the article in Press Progress that came out about the Sask Party's top donor uh, being Mm. from from Alberta. I don't know how much I don't know how much time we want to spend on that. I guess I think it's problematic. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. Now, is it 
Is it problematic? I guess I'll get your thoughts on this. Do you find it problematic specifically because it's from Alberta, or is this just a symptom of a greater issue with where money in politics comes from? I, like I, the yeah. fact that it is an oil company, the fact that, you know, yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think that's it. Like, it, it's not just that it's from Alberta. I have a problem with money in politics, right? <laughs> like, we shouldn't – that's why we're supposed to have campaign donation limits and stuff like that, right? Like, it just seems like if somebody from out of province can send money, millions of dollars to a party, that's – I mean, that, that can – really impact the the reach that that party has and can really impact the outcome of an election. So if it was the, let's say it was the other way around, let's say there was a, uh, a big national union or a union based out of Alberta that was donating to the NDP. You say you'd probably be in the same, yeah, have the same concerns, the same I, issues. I kind of feel like if, if it came out that a big uh, Alberta union, I mean, and I'm a, I'm a pro union guy. <laughs> so, so I mean, yeah. that, that bias would probably come into play, but I feel like if it was from out of province and they had donated millions of dollars to, uh, the party, then I would have a problem with it. I think, yeah. I think I try to be, I would try to be reasonable about that. Like I, I, uh, I, I don't like politicians having to, uh, get all this money for like, I've received a number of phone calls over the last few weeks from uh, the NDP asking for donations. And I appreciate that, uh, that is the way things are, but I don't like that. That's a thing that has to be done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I feel like I, I, I don't know that we'll ever get there, but I feel like if we had, uh, a government alloc- allocated number of dollars for every party and that was all they could spend on campaigning, then, yeah. then that would be ideal, you know, or, I mean, if it was my take, I would remove campaigning entirely. <laughs> but, but, what would that look like? Well, it's a, it, it's, it's a work in progress. I haven't figured it out yet. All right. <laughs> that's fair. No, that's fair. But yeah. All right. So I don't know. Is there anything else you want to touch on? I think that uh, that's sort of some of the bigger ones. I think, uh, like I said, I want to, uh, in sort of future podcasts, as we get closer to the civic ones, maybe um, do a little bit more dissecting. Um, I want to thank everyone who uh, downloaded the last week's podcast. Um, and thanks for some of the feedback. I know last week my, my microphone was not uh, was not as good of quality as it should have been. So um, I, I had a couple people mention that. And I appreciated the feedback <laughs> from them. I had, uh, I had already uh, put in an order for a new one so um but that's that's really great um i would love to hear if uh, if there are specific races anyone is interested in hearing our take on um i would love it if people were able to like uh, hop onto the facebook page or on twitter or just mention you know here's here's the provincial riding i live in i'm really interested to hear your take on the two candidates there or if um I don't know if there's yeah, a sure. municipal uh, election, you know, if someone is living in uh, Prince Albert or North Battleford or wherever, and they, they listen to the podcast, if they're like, I don't know who my mayor candidates are. I don't know what's good about them or bad about them. <laughs> yeah, um, we can we can Google that stuff. If, if they let us know. Yeah. yeah, if they let us know, I, I'm happy to do the research yeah, and, and be able to sort of give some information or same with the city council wards and whatnot. So because we, obviously we wouldn't have time in the, the weeks leading up to the elections to break down every single riding or every single you know 
specific ward, but if there's ones people are really wanting to hear our, our take on, I'm happy to do some poking around. So Absolutely. So with that, I guess you can follow us at SK Politics Pod on uh, Twitter. Our Facebook page is From Many People's Strength. And our email account is uh, from many peoples at gmail.com. That's about it. Great. And again, yeah, you can uh, follow us on Facebook um, from many people's strength. Um, and uh, once again, a really big thank you to everyone who's taking time out of your week to, to have a listen to us. We'll, uh, we'll be back again in one week's time. Good.